So in this section of Romans, we've been thinking about what it means to, to, to be the church. You know, the, we've heard about what the gospel message is. Now we're thinking about what difference it makes. And we're thinking particularly about what it means to have sincere love for one another. And that's what Paul mentioned back in chapter 12, verse 9, that we were to have sincere love for one another as the church. And we've been thinking about the implications of that in various different ways. And today we are looking at what it means to respect one another's conscience, how to respect one another's conscience in the church. And this is something, this is a passage which I think has been much misunderstood and much misused throughout the church. And so we need to look carefully at what it says and what it doesn't say. You know, we need to be careful to to make sure that we are not reading something into this, which Paul is not intending. So we need to think carefully about it. Now, Paul, uh, this is quite a long passage, so we're not going to go through the whole thing kind of verse by verse. But it, I think it basically divides up into three sections. So that's what we're going to look at. We're just going to take um, each section uh, one at a time and just kind of have an overview of that rather than going through it in, in minute detail. So in this first section, verses uh, chapter 14, verses 1 to 12, Paul is saying that God is our judge. So he, he starts out by saying, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarrelling over disputable matters. And if you wanted to have a sort of heading for this whole section, that is what Paul um, is talking about, really, to, uh, about, about weak and strong believers. And what does he mean by this? And this, I think, is the crux of the matter, because this will help us to understand what he means going all the way through. Who is he talking about when he says those are weak faith? Now, remember that as we've been going through Romans, the thing, one of the things which has come off, you know, which has come up again and again is the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. Remember that in those days of the church, then Christianity as a, a separate thing was, was new, that, you know, it was coming from within the Jewish, um, you know, uh, tradition, if you like, the Jewish religion. And, uh, and so you've got all these Jewish Christians as well as Gentile Christians, and that was causing friction. And we see this friction in the book of Acts. So um, if I turn back to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15, what happened is that some of the Gentile believers came into conflict with some of the Jewish believers because they were saying, well, you need to follow all of the Old Testament law in order to be a Christian. You know, you need to be circumcised, you need to, um, you know, follow the food laws and, and so on and so forth. And what they did is the, the apostles and the elders got together to have a big, you know, a big discussion about this. They met together and they wrote a letter to the Gentile Christians. Let me just quote to you what they said. Uh, this is Acts chapter 15, verses 28 and 29. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. 
Now that's the letter that they wrote. So what they were saying to the to these uh, Gentile believers was in order to to maintain a kind of to, to keep away from the friction with the, with Jewish believers that they were just to do certain things, particularly in the dietary requirements. I mean, the, the sexual immorality we can talk about another time. But it was a lot about food, wasn't it? There were three things about food in there. And this was, I think, to, to so that the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers could live in harmony, if you like. And so that those Jewish believers who had tender consciences about, for example, food sacrifice to idols, wouldn't then have to you know that there wouldn't be friction between them and i think that that helps us to understand what's going on in romans because paul he then mentions uh, verse 2 one person's faith allows them to eat anything but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables and i can imagine in those days that you know someone who was converted from a jewish background might look and think oh well you know the old testament tells us not to eat certain kinds of meat um, and you know i don't want to eat food sacrifice to idols so uh, it might be best if i just eat vegetables for example maybe that would be their line of thinking but uh, you can understand why a gentile christian who didn't have that background might think well i i don't see anything wrong with eating meat you know there's nothing no, no problem all kinds of meat it's all fine and you can understand why that might have been a tension. So Paul mentions that, and he also mentions in verse 5, that one person considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike. And again, in the Old Testament, the, the Jews were commanded to observe certain days. I mean, well, there was obviously the Sabbath every week, uh, but also there were festivals and, and, and feast days which they were to commemorate uh, throughout the year. <clears throat> so you can imagine again how a Jewish uh, Christian who come from that background might still think that they needed to observe those, those days, uh, whereas a Gentile believer wouldn't. So Paul picks up on those two things, and I'm sure there were probably more examples um, but perhaps this is what the church in Rome were particular you know, were issues in the church in Rome particularly. Uh, so how does Paul respond to this? Well, he says uh, verses three and four: uh, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servant stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. So what Paul says, his response here is, look, they both belong to God. God, God is the master of them both. It is not your place to judge someone else's servant. And in the same way that if God is our master, then we are not to judge uh, someone else who, who uh, also whose master is is the Lord. Now, if God has accepted them, then they stand or fall before God now. And then he says, he, he goes on uh, and says in verse 8, if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Now, that's the thing that when we come to Christ, then what matters is whether we live for the Lord or not. You know, that, that we live or die for him it's not about ourselves anymore, but it's about serving Christ. That's the difference when we come to the Lord. 
And he says that we're all going to have to give an account to him at the end of the day. So he says, verse 10, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. And then verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So God is going to demand an accounting from us. And that is the, the key thing here, that, you know, our conscience is, is given by God. And God is the one who, at the end of the day, we, we serve. And so if we do something which violates our conscience, actually, we have to answer to God. You know, we're not answering to someone else, but we answer to God. That's the, the important thing. It made me think, actually, is it, what Paul is talking about is a little bit like uh, the relationship between a parent and children. You know, that uh, when a child is very young, you know, as a parent, you have to give them quite strict rules about what they can and can't do. You know, don't touch that. You've got to go to bed at a certain time and, and so on. And as a child gets older, you can trust the child to look after themselves a bit more. You know, they, you don't have to worry about them so much. You don't have to give them such strict rules. And, you know, can you imagine an older child kind of making fun of a younger child, the, the, the younger sibling, because of you know, them having to follow rules? Because the, it's the same parent, you know, that, that, that's the parent is the one who gives the rules, who gives, you know, the freedom. So someone who's, you know, older and more mature shouldn't make fun of someone who's younger and, you know, needs needs those rules, if you like. I think it's a little bit like that, you know, that at the end of the day, God is our master. We answer to him. We all answer to him, whichever stage of the Christian faith that we're at. So I think that's step one that Paul Paul is talking about. The second thing that he goes on to say is, therefore, that we should respect the conscience of other believers. This is verses 13 to 23. So he says, verse 13, therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So he says, stop uh, judging one another, but do the opposite. You know, so don't judge, but instead make up your mind not to put an obstacle in, in the way. And he says, verse 15, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. He says we love someone by respecting their conscience. Now, if uh, one of these Jewish Christians, for example, who thought it was wrong to eat, uh, to eat meat, let's say, uh, if then you just, you know, went ahead and ate meat in front of them without any thought to how they felt about it then that would be that would be violating their conscience you know they might think oh well god doesn't care about how we live then so i'm just going to live how i like and it would it would destroy their faith it would violate their conscience and destroy their faith and paul says verse 16 therefore do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil and he says that yes we do have freedom in christ but don't let that freedom be spoken of as an evil thing. You know, don't let people think that your freedom is actually doing, you know, just freedom to do wrong. You know, because then what, what is a good thing, the freedom in Christ, will be spoken of as an evil thing. And that, that wouldn't, be, 
right. So the principle that he gives is in verse 21, and I think this is a really important principle, which kind of underpins what he's saying here. He says, it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So he says, if eating meat or drinking wine or anything like that would cause your brother or sister in Christ to stumble and to to violate their conscience, it's better not to do it. And this is something that he actually says elsewhere. He elaborates a bit more on this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 9 to 13. Let me just read out what he says here. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you, with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. So Paul says it is better to restrain your freedom than to cause a brother or sister to fall into sin and violate their conscience. And violating your conscience is a really important thing not to do. This is what Paul says. He finishes this this particular section, verses 22 and 23. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. So this is what Paul is saying, that your conscience is sacred, if you like. Your conscience is sacred. It's between you and God. And if you violate it, it is sin for you. It's that important. Something which I've become aware of over the last few years is actually how important our conscience is. Or you might call it sometimes our gut instinct, you know, that things which perhaps transcend our, you know, um, intellectual minds. But, you know, we sometimes get a sense of whether something is right or wrong or God's directing us in some way. If we violate our conscience, then we've actually broken that that link. You know, it violates that, that connection that we have with God. It's so important to to listen to our conscience, to that voice inside, which is which is directing us. And the thing is with our conscience that only God can change it. You know, so if you believe it's right, I mean, as, as in, let's go back to this example, if you believed it was right to eat any kind of meat, even meat that had been sacrificed to idols, and Paul says, yeah, that's that's fine according to your own conscience, if you believe it. But if a brother or sister doesn't believe that, and you make them eat meat, which is sacrificing, and violate their conscience, then that's damaged their relationship with God, and maybe even broken it irreparably. What needs to happen instead is that God needs to change their conscience first, so that then you can you can um, do things together. But it's not your place 
to, to violate someone else's conscience. It's not your place to change someone else's conscience. Not only God can do that. And that's something which God does as we read the Bible, as we pray, as we grow in faith. But it's not your place to change someone else's conscience. And, you know, there are other examples of this. I mean, I know that, um, you know, obviously we're not in the same situation today with, you know, Jewish Christians and, and Gentiles. But uh, I, I do think there are some Christians who've grown up believing that some things are kind of wrong and sinful. And, you know, the, the, the best way of dealing with them is not just to drag them and, and to do whatever they thought was wrong and sinful before. To give you an example... Uh, my uh, my mum was raised in a very strict kind of brethren church and they were taught that you know going to the cinema and going out dancing was was wrong at the time and this is something which uh you know obviously today it, it maybe it's hard to imagine I'm going to the cinema is wrong you know but but that's what they were taught and i think you know when when my mum was you know younger Perhaps, you know, if, if you'd have met her, then the right way of dealing with that wouldn't have been to say, oh, well, let's go to the cinema, you know, violate your conscience, because she might have thought, oh, well, you know, God doesn't care what I do. I can do the, the, the thing to do would have been actually to help her to understand that God doesn't. You know, that's not a sinful thing. But rather than violating her conscience first, you know, to, to actually try and help her to understand God's mind um, before going out and, and doing it. Um, so that's the thing that we need to respect people's conscience and and conscience is a really important thing for for us as Christians. So in this final section, we're going to um, skip through this a bit more briefly. But Paul is saying that we need to follow Christ's example. His chapter 15 verses 1 to 13. Uh, he says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good to build them up. So Paul says what we need to do is not, we're not here to please ourselves, just to do whatever we like. And, you know, it's, it's not about us, but it's about building up our neighbours to do what's good for them. That's what we need to be committed to. And he says that that's the example of Christ. He says in verse three, for even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So Paul says that Jesus, out of love for others, even took on the insults of those who, who insulted God. You know, and clearly he wasn't pleasing himself then. But Jesus was zealous for doing what was right and good, for doing God's will. And he knew that that was serving and loving other people, even if it meant it was hard sometimes for himself and then Paul he gives a sort of a picture of what unity looks like in verses five and six he says may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ a unity Paul says is about following Jesus Christ together now there is only one Jesus you know and that's the thing that our unity at the end of the day is not found in a list of rules but it is found in Jesus Christ 
that's where our unity is. And if we, are, we have faith and trust in him, if we're following him, then we should be united to one another. You know, if I have faith in Christ and you have faith in Christ, then we should be united. And we should have, you know, one, uh, in the end, one heart, one mind and one voice uh, to glorify God. And we should do that together. And I think it's interesting, actually, when talking about Christian unity, that unity is through a person and not through, a, you know, a doctrinal statement or, or something like that. That it is very easy, I think, to look at all of the the denominations that exist, you know, you think about the Methodists and the Baptists and, you know, the different Christian denominations and, you know, they all got slightly different beliefs. But actually, at the end of the day, our unity is found in a person, not in a doctrinal basis, which doesn't mean that doctrine doesn't matter. But it means that, you know, what we what we need to do is to have faith and trust in Christ first and foremost, and that you know, there is, we find our unity, not through these other things, um, which are, uh, you know, important, but not the, the be all and end all. And um, Paul, I'll finish off with the, this final verse here, which I think is, is lovely. And Paul, it's, it's kind of like this motto for church unity. He says, verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Something which actually is, is in the, um, the original language, which doesn't come across so well in the English, is that the you is plural. Now, obviously, in, in English, when we say you, it can mean you for one person or you for several people. Uh, but in, in um, Greek, it's either you is singular or plural. And here it means plural. May the God of hope fill you all with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you all may overflow with joy, uh, with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's what, what Paul is saying. He's saying it's you together as the church. You now, as you trust in God, then he will fill you with joy and peace and, and, and hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's you together, as you know, all trusting in Christ as one. That's what Paul, uh, what Paul means. And I think that's a lovely, uh, lovely place for him to finish. But just before we we come to a close, let's think about what this means for us, because I know that this this is a a big passage. It's a long passage, um, but I think that it because of that, it's it's one of these passages, as I said at the beginning, which has often been misunderstood and misinterpreted and misused. And it's, I've seen it's happen many times over, over the years. And I thought it might be helpful just to explain what this passage is not, what this passage is not doing. So this passage, firstly, is not minimising theological differences. Now, Paul is not saying that doctrine doesn't matter. Uh, so later on in, in another letter, he says in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses uh, 13 and 14, what you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives 
in us. So Paul is saying to Timothy that he's given him a pattern of sound teaching and he says to Timothy, guard it, and guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. So this sound teaching is it's so important, it needs to be guarded and we need to, to make sure that it is preserved, that you know, at the end of the day we can't just believe whatever we like, you know, that if we do have faith then it does mean believing in certain things and not in other things. You know, if we genuinely have faith in Christ, then it means believing in certain things, not in other things. And this is why, you know, if you look through church history, sometimes it is important for people to stand up for the truth and to make a stand. Uh, like at the Reformation, for example, you know, Martin Luther, when he, at uh, the, the beginning of the Reformation, you know, he came to believe that the uh, the Roman Catholic, medieval Catholic Church of the day were uh, saying and teaching things which were not from the Bible, which actually contradicted the Bible. And he took a stand and he said, you know, I, I believe actually, you know, the Bible says this and I'm going to take a stand on that. And in the end, he had to leave the, uh, the Catholic Church. And this is when the different churches of the Reformation were born. And now this is that was a good thing to happen and that was the right thing to happen because he needed to take a stand on the truth that that was more important than the appearance of unity you know that that it was so important to accept what the bible says about this this matter about the, the at that, that time justification and you know paul elsewhere in galatians for example he talks about people who are distorting the gospel, you know, bringing another gospel, throwing people into confusion. And he says, we've got to stand up against that. You know, it's, it's wrong. He says, if I or an angel from heaven even, you know, preach another gospel to you, let them be anathema. So it doesn't mean that doctrine doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that we can just believe whatever we like. You know, doctrine does matter. And yes, we have to have wisdom about, you know, what's a primary issue and what's a secondary issue you know, like for example the issue of baptizing when we baptize whether we baptize children or whether we wait until they're old enough to make their own decision I mean that's an issue which the church has been you know um, has divided the church to some extent for uh, the last few hundred years and I think we've learned to accept that you can be Christian and have different a uh, different opinion about that you know that that shouldn't divide us actually in the way that that it does, even if we have to have different denominations. But we, you know, we have to recognise what a secondary issue is, what is a primary one. But we, you know, it doesn't mean that what we believe doesn't matter at all. So that's that's one thing that Paul is not saying that here. And the second thing is, this does not mean that we should just, you know, have different perspectives about what sin is. Uh, now this is something which again I, I've seen over the over the, the years. Like for example, more recently, about something like same sex marriage, that you know there are people who say, well, you know, that the world has come to embrace it now. So some Christians might have a weak conscience and not accept it, but we have a strong conscience, we do accept it, you know. And that's actually, I think, again contradicting what Paul is saying here. Now, Paul is not saying that we should just redefine 
what the Bible calls sin. Um, actually, he, he says elsewhere in the book of Galatians that you know, to, to have freedom in Christ is not to indulge in sin. He says in Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So Paul says, actually, freedom in Christ is not the freedom to do whatever we like, but the freedom to live in in the ways of love that God's given us, which is the fulfilment of the law, not doing the opposite of the law. We don't have the time to go into all of that here, but it's things that we've talked about as we've been going through Romans so far. So Paul is, again, not saying that we need to have different perspectives on what sin is, but rather that there are some people whose consciences are quite tender, who may be very you know, rules-based, and we need to bear with them while they're, they're less mature and while their consciences are like that. But that doesn't give us license to go and do whatever we like. You know, that's not at all what Paul is saying. And actually, even if that you know, in a sense, if that were the case, what Paul would say is, well, we shouldn't indulge our freedoms, you know, because um, because actually we should bear with the conscience of those. So anyway, that's that's just by the by. But it's important to say that uh, we need to recognise that those who genuinely belong to Christ are those who obey him at the end of the day. And this is what Jesus said, uh, Matthew 7, verse 21, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus says that saying to him, Lord, Lord, will not get us into heaven, as it were, but only those who actually want to do God's will. It's it's actually if we submit to God, then, then we'll enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's the difference, you know, that if we really do have faith in Christ, if we really do submit to him, then we will want to do his will. You know, that that this gospel freedom is not the freedom to just do whatever we want. Now, that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's actually saying that it's the freedom to do God's will, which is a very different thing. And that's what we need to realise. So let's just briefly say, let's just briefly recap then. What does this mean for us positively? It means we should, firstly, recognise and encourage genuine faith. We should recognise when uh, we have faith in, in, in others and we should encourage that and encourage people to grow in their faith. Secondly, we should respect one another's consciences. That, you know, recognising that people who are less mature may have a more tender conscience and therefore we shouldn't force them to do things that they are uncomfortable with and violate their conscience but we should actually try to help them understand from the bible uh, better and, and try to you know enable god to work in their consciences to change them and thirdly and finally we should follow jesus's example and put one another first that's what we we know we're not here to please ourselves but we're here to please god and to please other people And that's what we should be thinking about as a church. That's what it means to love one another sincerely. And as Paul explains, that's what it means in the church to to, uh, respect one another's conscience. So let's take a moment to pray and ask God to help us uh, to put this into practice. So Heavenly Father, we recognise that this is a a long passage, that this is um, perhaps not not easy to, uh, to understand or to put into practice. 
uh, but we pray that you would give us wisdom and give us insight uh, about this Lord especially when we think about people who are uh, less mature in faith and how we can respect their conscience uh, please help us Lord to to be those who do love one another sincerely who put the needs of one another first and who are able to have wisdom in how we do that uh, not to violate someone else's conscience but instead to uh, help build them up in faith we pray that you would help us with that this week and uh, day by day in Jesus' name. Amen.